He played carol gun. His rating was higher. But from move seventeen, the king's side was mine. Took my chances fast. My rook was a knife, and my almighty queen, the beast on H six. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Ladies' Night, the official podcast of U.S. Chess Women. I'm your host Jennifer Chahadi, and you are listening to the artist Huga of HugaMusica.com, and that is a song that certainly captured my heart. Oh, Capablanca, and oh, what a season it's been for chess. everyone and welcome back to Ladies Night. I am so excited about my guest today. I'm really happy to introduce Natasha Reagan. She's a women's international master, a mathematician with a degree from Cambridge, and co-author of two books with Grandmaster Matthew Sadler, Chess for Life, and most recently, Game Changer, which is all about AlphaZero's groundbreaking chess strategies and the promise of AI. Natasha, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Jennifer. Thanks for inviting me. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, I, I have to tell you, I just absolutely love the book Game Changer. And I, I know I understand that it was your idea to write a book like this. So kudos on that. Yeah. And how's it been since it got published, what, maybe two months ago? It was, um, our launch was 25th of January um, in Vicenze, at the tournament in Vicenze. We did a a little talk about the book and um it was it was a really nice event uh and um at that tournament then Magnus Carlsen got a copy of the book and he gave an interview saying he liked it so that was really really exciting um how we came up with the idea so in um 2017 December 2017 there was a tournament going on in London which was the London Chess Classic and at the same time uh, DeepMind published a paper on AlphaZero. And at that point, I'd never heard of AlphaZero. Um, and this paper was saying there was a artificial intelligence computer that they had built. And what it had done was taught itself how to play chess. And it had taught itself so well that it was able to defeat Stockfish in a 100-game match. And so it was the first time... Um, a computer had been able to teach itself to get to that standard. And the paper published 10 games that AlphaZero had played. Now, I was really, really excited about it um, having taught itself because it meant it was like a check on everything that people had taught themselves how to play chess and the whole development of chess history over time and, and what ideas we had come up with. Then it was fascinating for me as to whether the computer would come up with the same types of play and the same ideas, same openings. Um, so that first day, everybody was was talking about AlphaZero in the paper, and uh, and and actually playing at the tournament, there were all these top players as well. So Carson Nakamura, all these all these guys, and there were lots of draws at the tournament, and so people were saying, oh yeah, okay, are, are these these top games going to be a draw? Um, and the next day, everyone had played through the games. And, and actually, in the commentary room, they were playing the, the games of the people playing the tournament, but also we were playing through the Alpha Zero games. And what was really striking about it was that um, the style of the games was very attacking, uh, sort of romantic style. There were lots of pawn sacrifices and, and, and direct attacks on the king. It was a very direct style of play. All we were talking about at the tournament was... Um, was AlphaZero's games. And um, then actually uh, Matthew was at the tournament as well. And I spoke with him um, and sort of had the idea sort of pretty much straight away that we could write an interesting book about this. Uh, We'd already written Chess for Life and Chess for Life was about um, how people's chess careers develop as as they get older. And this was a lovely book. Um, it was we interviewed a lot of top players. So we interviewed 
Um, and only you know, yes, as Sarah Wans, we interviewed him, we interviewed Nigel Short, we interviewed Pierre Cramling, um, we interviewed Judith Polgar, we interviewed a lot of people about their techniques um, as they get older and how they still enjoy chess. And then we also did a combination of that and the chess analysis, so the styles of their games and whether they change their openings throughout the years and uh, what was a good opening to set up for their career. So I thought, okay, we could do a lovely book that sort of pulls out the style of Alpha Zero and themes from its play. And so how we could learn from Alpha Zero's play and also interview the DeepMind team because people would be very interested in this story about how it was built, why they um, chose to develop a chess and AI computer um, and, and tell the story behind the match. Um, and I thought this would be lovely. And I spoke with Matthew and he liked the idea. It was a little bit nervous because um, it would be a lot of work and a bit nervous of approaching DeepMind. But actually, both of us had known Demis, Demis Hassabis, who's the CEO of DeepMind. We'd known him as a junior chess player. So he was a very strong junior. He'd reached, I think, number two in the world of his age group, uh, just behind Judith Polgar. He'd played chess as a kid and then actually pretty much given up because he then got very much into computers, first of all, computers and then AI. So he'd done... Um, has got degrees and studied, also studied the brain. So he was doing um, AI research. And so he'd, he'd been behind developing AlphaZero. Um, and so we approached him and said, well, look, we've written this book. It won the prize for the English Chess Federation Book of the Year. And would you be interested in us doing a similar type of book on AlphaZero? We'd interview you and your team, uh, get the background story, and look at all the games. And he wasn't sure at first. He um, he liked the idea, but he wasn't sure. And then uh, he went away, read the book, and um, and then we were very lucky that he said yes, we could we could go ahead, look at the games, and write a book. So was, so we we're very excited, and and that's how Game Changer began. Yeah, you know, it really is amazing how you and Matthew and Demis in the book do a really good job of trying to explain what exactly that means. Cause I know that was the catchphrase when alpha zero, um, you know, debuted in December, 2017 to the general public, the catchphrase that everybody was talking about, by the way, I was doing commentary for the grand chess tour um, from the studio in St. Louis at the time. And everybody was just so excited about this idea that the computer taught itself chess in nine hours, but being that we are not programmers and we don't have a programming background, it wasn't really clear what exactly that meant or why it was significant or how it was different from obviously, you know, really strong computers learning from previous games. But um, when you read Game Changer, it, it, in my opinion, it does really a good job of showing what's different. Uh, coming from a background of poker, one of the things that I was most excited about was to hear that AlphaZero is interested in expected value of moves as opposed to what each move represents in pawns, because I think that the former is actually really much more accessible to the layperson. So, I mean, were you uh, were you also encouraged by that finding? Yeah, AlphaZero thinks in in a, an expected score. So it looks at its position. It then it it, it has these kind of two neural nets. Uh, one looks at what are the best moves in the position. So what's it think, think the moves that you play in this position? And then the other evaluates the position. And then that evaluation is done in terms of what it expects to happen um, from that position, what it expects the result of the game to be. And that really intuitively does make a lot of sense because that's really what you're interested in. If you're playing a game of chess, you want to know whether you're going to win it or whether you're going to draw it and what, what move gives you the best chance to win. Uh, so it's very directly what you want to get out of the game. That's that's its evaluation. And I guess it's historical. The reason why um, other computers don't really do it like that, and they evaluate in terms of um, a number of pawns. So they might say white is one pawn up, um, which is interesting, but um, it it won't necessarily, because it can be different. So one pawn up could be a clear pawn up in an end game, um, and it might be sort of fairly easy to win it from there. 
but one pawn up in a very complicated middle game might be really, really tricky. And so actually you might prefer as a human player um, to get a, a sort of small, clear advantage with a position you're comfortable with playing rather than um, a position that's theoretically a little bit better, but is, is just very, very difficult and you have to play the best move each time. Otherwise, something bad will happen. Um, so, yeah, and I think I also have a sort of theory that it that um, this evaluation leads to a difference in style as well. So, so whilst we're saying it um, is very directly reflecting the outcome you want from the game, um, my theory is that that also then directly uh, influences style to be aiming for checkmate and and what ends the game um, in a way a bit more than something like Stockfish does. So it, it seems to be less focused on um, the material balance and more focused on am I going to win this game and can I get a mating attack? And I guess for you, like as a, a poker player that that really makes sense and actually for me as well i'm thinking um if you're evaluating like that that's a really useful way of doing it yeah especially because computers don't really understand uh pawn or rook or knight in terms of value it's all about whether it can function to create checkmate or a winning end game that would lead to a forced checkmate at some point cause resignation so it it really is fascinating i'm sure people ask you all the time though if you learned anything different about material and the heuristics that we use to teach children. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very interesting. Uh, that um, so AlphaZero often sacrifices pawns. Um, it'll often sacrifice pawn uh, to open up a line. And the thing about these sacrifices is that it it doesn't have to clearly see a way to the end of the game when it's done that. So it doesn't need to. Um, justify its sacrifice by calculating a forced line. What it will do, it will do these long-term positional sacrifices. And so it can sacrifice the pawn for this open line. And it just knows it's good to have an open line. And on the balance of chance, so by expectation, that it will be able to use that open line later in the game to create some other kind of chances. So it might open a, a, a file against the king and then it likes to combine it with other features in the position. So it'll open, say, a line for its rook and then a diagonal for its bishop and then uh, bring the knight round to join the attack um, and then maybe push um, its, its pawn, often the h pawn, it'll push up the board as well and it'll combine all these things together to create a really powerful attack, but it doesn't need to have calculated all from the outset. It it, it kind of understands these features are going to give it um, a long term good chances in the position. So it likes these positions where it can create risk for the opponent and relatively less risk for itself. So it kind of steers the opponent maybe unwittingly into a position where it has um, less long-term prospects. And this actually also ties in with um, mobility of pieces. And um, there's some lovely games where AlphaZero manages to render one or two of Stockfish's pieces kind of cut out of the game. So there's a game in um, Game Changer called Python Squeeze. And in that, it's a Queen's Indian. And in that, AlphaZero as white closes the centre and then starts building up a long-term attack. And so uh, AlphaZero is attacking on the king side and Stockfish is, so the, the normal plan would be to counter on the queen side. And Stockfish does manage to give AlphaZero like a backward C pawn. Um, but AlphaZero is pushing up the H pawn and getting the pieces massed for an attack. And you think at first that what AlphaZero is going to do is open up the h-file and do a kingside attack like that. But then what it actually does, um, because Stockfish defends by putting a rook on h8, and so AlphaZero, instead of opening up that file and letting the rook out, it, it blocks up the h-file and then just goes around trading pieces. It just swaps everything off. And um, 
the point about that is an alpha zero can play over the whole board and stockfish has got this this rook that's kind of stuck in the corner and can't take part in the game so so from doing an attack it actually manages to get um a, a positional advantage like long-term positional advantage over the board by making one of stockfish's pieces passive so it's sort of very nice way of playing and it's it, once um once you see the theme it's uh, also quite an intuitive way of playing and and actually it probably to play that way it's probably actually less risky than to 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 open up your h file and go for this all out attack because you actually know you've just you've just got this piece that's blocked off and and you can make the most of the position and you've got a bit of time to do that yeah i mean i think there's a certain it seems like there's a certain comfort with alpha zero and that some of the things that you describe in the book uh is make us think that human thinking isn't so bad after all, because they certainly they certainly feel a little human. And what you're talking about, risk management, going for a, a simpler line that r- requires less risk, um, simplification in certain situations, trying to make your opponent uncomfortable with aggressive attacks. These are all things that we wouldn't imagine, I think, that AI would, would appreciate. Um, at least not um, compared to the current computer engines like Stockfish. So I I think that's one reason it's so comforting to read. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. Um, it's um, you can you can think of how you play a move yourself, and you I can or I I can sort of feel like I'm playing. Sometimes I'm thinking like Alpha Zero, and sometimes a bit like Stockfish as well. And it, it depends on the position as to. Um, it, it'll be a combination of the two as well. But Stockfish will look for the very best line um, through a position. So if white plays that, black plays that, white plays that, black plays that, and it'll calculate kind of very precisely. And it looks at much more positions per second also than alpha zero. So it'll it'll calculate um, the best forcing line, I suppose. And alpha zero, it, it, it does this. We talked already about um, like expected value from the game, it um, it calculates that in 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 quite a probabilistic way. So it'll look at uh, fewer positions actually than Stockfish looks at, but it does this averaging of um, all the lines it's looked at. So if similar lines um, turn out too risky or very bad, it'll find itself steering away from that. And this is a bit like um, like a human would think because you think you might just see a move and think. Uh, I can't play that. It's too risky. Like, like for example, if you had a, say, a, a finisher to position around your king, um, so you're black and and um, someone's gone h5, would you go g takes h5? And for a human, it just looks really risky because you'd be opening up your g pawn against your king. Um, and you find that stockfish will sometimes play that kind of move because it can calculate and it calculates that it's fine. And that'll work well a lot of the time. Uh, but other times for stockfish, then it, it might be just that there's too much going on in the position um, or it's too long term a position and you can't really calculate it to the end. And um, and so so alpha zero's approach, it's a, we, we say it sort of feels more intuitive because it does take into account. We, we feel like it takes into account a, a feeling about the position and um whether it's risky or not, and, and your, your your basic chances in the position. And another thing it does is um, restricting the opponent's king. That's a, that's a good one as well. So it likes to get to a position where the opponent's king um, doesn't have a lot of mobility and can't really move. So, for example, this would be like putting your pawn on, if you're white, putting your pawn on h6 when your opponent's gone g6. And so that g7 square... Um, the king can't go to and and so the, the king might be stuck on the back rank so that, that brings in two kind of main features of the position so like a, a queen could come to g7 checkmate or rook onto the back rank checkmate because you've you've kind of cut off the king's escape squares so those things uh, it won't have calculated that that those will definitely happen but they're they're sitting there in the position and they'll stay there and so later on in the game this this kind of thing might happen, and it's a bit like a human thinks. You you, you kind of say, well, this this looks good for me. I, I haven't worked it all out, but this this sort of thing looks good. One thing that I found fascinating as well is that uh, Alpha Zero does go for all these aggressive checkmating attacks, and that one potential reason that it goes for it so hard is that 
it's not programmed with any kind of human interference, except some very like very minor stipulations in terms of the learning process. But it uh, doesn't have like a table base or anything of end game. So it could be that there are some end games that it doesn't realize are winning, and therefore it might go for some attacks at some point, which is certainly to the benefit of us humans going over the games because we really love those attacks. Uh, but that surprised me only in that it also favors the Berlin defense. Yes. Uh, which, of course, was one of the minor disappointments of reading Game Changer. Yeah, sorry about that, but yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it it, it does... It, it doesn't have table base, you're right. And, um, and so we thought, would it misplay any of those end games? And we didn't find any really where it was misplaying those end games. So, so we think it has worked out that sort of thing for itself. But as you say, still in approaching those end games, because it's not programmed in, then it might not uh, recognize sort of from a middle game that that end game is going to be... Um, winning or drawing um, in a way that it, it might know that if it had table base. So, yeah, I, I, I think that could be uh, one, another reason why it, it does try to uh, do these attacks in the middle game, which is, as you say, it's very nice for us. But then why the Berlin? Why the Berlin? But the Berlin, yeah. Um, I think it just thinks that... Um, that black's a bit worse after white's gone e4, and it thinks e5 is the solidest defense. And um, and so Berlin uh, gives it a good chance to to draw. It's very solid. Um, and so, because it does lose very few games. Got it. There was um, something in, in, um, in one of the papers about um, its progression of openings and which ones it liked and didn't like. And it certainly did have phases of going through um, Sicilian and French and others. Um, but uh, but it, it seems like it's favourite. Well, at the moment, anyway, it's favourite seems to be E4, E5 and Berlin and, and, and nice and solid as black. But then, of course, um, as white, it avoids that by pretty much choosing D4 or C4 or Knight F3 ahead of E4. So maybe, maybe that's its anti-Berlin technique. Right. Yeah, I, I did see that. And I, I imagine how long it will be till that fully trickles down to the uh, the playing styles. Uh, I, I do think it's really interesting that so many people, of course, admire the top engines, not in the way that they admire a human player, but perhaps more so with AlphaZero, because there is this mythology around it that it thinks more like a human. So maybe it's a little bit more welcoming and warm than a engine that um, operates in pawn values and more esoteric lines and brute force calculation. So mm. I'm fascinated by that as it, uh, it, it's, it interests me from a feminist point of view. If now we're trying to um, approximate the play of the top engines as opposed to the tra- top male player, um, is that significant in any way? It's, it's really nice following the, the, the games of the top engines, particularly because um, of this clash of styles. So you've got your um, very attacking Alpha Zero um, against your very strong defender Stockfish. And I, I don't know if you managed to catch any of the um, – there's this top computer chess engine tournament, so TSEC. And, um, and that happened just um, – oh, it would be two or three weeks ago that um, – Leela Zero was taking on Alpha Zero, and so uh, sorry, Leela Zero was taking on Stockfish, and um, they played a hundred game match, and that finished very very close. So Leela Zero is um, also neural net, um, and it's based on the um, Alpha Zero paper, so it's got the same um, kind of architecture, and actually it. Um, plays with a very similar style to Alpha Zero. So it's also doing a lot of attacking. And this match finished, Stockfish won. It finished 50 and a half compared with 49 and a half. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, really interesting games and interesting style. So um, so I guess people, yeah, men and women players are, are learning from um, from these engines now. And uh, I, think, I think a nice thing is that the style is quite 
easy to copy in some ways. So you've got you've got all these themes um, that you can try out in your games. Um, and uh, and I've tried some of these. I've tried some of these things. And, and actually, with 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 some sometimes with a lot of success, and sometimes um, I've had a fun game, but it hasn't worked for me. So it you know when you're trying to adapt these things into your game. Um, still, I think it's it's a good idea to still keep your current game and keep all your strategy and then add these things on as, as like extra tools. Yeah. I, I know I read in your, in your book and also heard in my friend Ben's podcast that you started playing H4, H5, H6 every, every game and it only works. It was great fun. <laughs> it really was a lot of fun. Um, but I, my memories almost didn't particularly improve when I did that, but it, it was a lot of fun. I had some good, some really good games. And then, and then someone, they were just saying, look, why on earth are you moving your H pawn so early? And none of my teammates would understand because I was launching my H pawn again. And, and they were like, what is she doing? Um, and I was desperate to tell everyone why I was doing this thing, but I, I, I couldn't at that stage because we had to keep it confidential because there was um, a, a paper coming out later and we couldn't say a word about what we were doing. Yeah. And I mean, to, to, my, to what I was saying earlier is just that, you know, there's always so much talk in about whether men or women are more intelligent and why women play chess oh, yeah. less. And I think the idea that um, we're looking as humans to become even more intelligent and perhaps learn from AI how to, you know, make our processes more efficient, maybe teach people more efficiently is a really great, I think it's a really great potential. And the, the fact that the output potentially from uh, Alpha Zero, Lila Zero is a little bit more relatable than the zero, zero, zero variations that we often get from Stockfish that it seems kind of funny the first time you get that zero, 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 but then when you get it the thousandth time, it gets a little bit forbidding. Like, I don't understand this variation or where it's coming from or why it's a draw. Yeah, it's hard to make sense. I was teaching... Um... I was at a, a junior tournament at the weekend and um, teaching. There was there was boys and girls there, and we went through some Alpha Zero games with them. Um, and then I played a, a a blitz game against two of the little girls there. They must have been about twelve, and um, I had we we all had five minutes to that, but I was playing two at once. Anyway, but they played beautifully. These girls um, and. Um, Hopefully, I mean, hopefully it was all because they were trying Alpha Zero style. Um, but anyway, yeah, I had I lost one on time and won one with just one second left. I mean, as our our world gets more fast paced, it's easier. More people are focusing on quicker time controls, and I think that that's probably only going to accelerate. There are so many intersections between like AI and social good, but it's also interesting to me that you have to be careful about social ills. Like there was that famous case of. Uh, like there, there is a, there's so many cases actually lately where they show that AI um, has bias, even if it wasn't programmed with that bias. I heard about this. Um, yeah, about recruitment, wasn't it? And um, the AI was looking at CVs that it received, and then looking at the uh, recruitment decisions that were made, and then someone put some CVs in and put female words in. Um, like a women's group or something like that, and the AI started rejecting them. It, it was terrible, but it, I think that 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 kind of is a, a function of the choices that had been made already. I think, and and it just seems to be you've got to be really really careful with the data that you put into an AI that it that it doesn't contain bias, or if it does, that you adjust for it in some way, or, or you you are aware of that because it'll. It's just kind of if you're trying to mimic decisions that humans made, any any bias that was there is going to come out in the AI as well. Yeah, and that's why I think it's it's so interesting to have this AI that learns in a different way because I'm not sure if a lot of these biases came out from this type of deep learning or not. But I I definitely obviously the more options that you have, the less likely you are going to be to fall into those traps, right? Yeah, because I think with chess, it's sort of um, pure in some way in that you're not giving it human data at all. So you, you, you've got these games and you can simulate them. And um, and that makes a problem very uh, open to, be, to use AI. Um, some of these other 
things because you always need a lot of data for it to, to make any any sense of it and so yeah so where it's human data that's going in um you need to be really careful with with what data goes in i was really fascinated by that first couple minutes that alpha zero started playing itself because apparently the earliest games were random and they're obviously like lots of draws by 50 move roll. Yeah. And so it actually didn't play well right away. It's just that all of these millions of games were compressed into such a short period of time. So perhaps that's what a lot of other AI will realize too, that you just have to let it learn for many iterations before you start using the results. Right. A really interesting thing that, um, that Demis was saying was about, um, when you're starting an AI project, because you can try these techniques for a whole range of things. So in your in your day jobs, you can you can try this stuff. And and what he was saying was, um, you don't know whether you're going to get any sense out of out of out of it at all. And so when he started the project, or when they started the project, there was an intern. Uh, this was Go. They started with actually, and um, there was an intern, and then there was Arja, who's a strong Go player. Um, and David Silver, I think, was working on it, and um, and but just a very small team. And um, what they did was left the intern. It was like one and a half people working on it, um, and they weren't getting results at first. Um, and and the big thing is is whether you um, carry on with that um, and not getting results. But what they know is once they start getting any little improvements. Um, and they start get a start of something, then they know that that you can just put more on it and you're going to get somewhere. And and so it's similar. Like when it was starting off to play chess, um, it, I suppose that you, you don't know whether you're going to get anything. But if but once it starts making sense of chess, then um, by playing more and more games, it can um, can get really really strong. Um, but I think with Go, they had a few false starts, and 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 so it it wasn't improving when it starts off by itself so what they had to do with go was um give it a little bit of human knowledge and so what they did was they took all these top games um and they got the ai to try and predict the same move that the human had played so they had started with a human database um and then they trained the neural net to predict those go moves and um and it, 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 at first of all, it couldn't do it at all. Then it started off getting some of them right and just getting a bit better than random. And then they knew they were onto something and, and then they ramped it all up and, and then it started getting good at predicting the moves. Um, but that first iteration of AlphaGo, um, I didn't feel familiar with, with AlphaGo. And so it, it, um, so it was because with Go, the top computers at that time were not stronger than the top players. And so the professionals were actually a lot stronger than the computers. And I think it's, it's partly a function because Go is played on a much, much bigger board. And so for each move, there's a lot more plausible choices of where you might put your stone. And so the, the trees branch off um, with many, many more possibilities even than chess. And so using an alpha beta search actually was, was, was harder because uh, because you had so many possibilities and you had to sort of try and analyze the forcing variation. Um, and so that's why they started off really with the AI and on Go and on games, was they, they had um, a theory that actually the alpha beta search on Go wasn't really the right way to go and that they should be trying to use these uh, neural nets and AI. And uh, yeah, so, so they started off getting sense from human players and then they uh, moved on to doing it without any human knowledge at all and simulating but it was it was way um ahead of their time or well, people thought uh, having a computer that could beat professional players was still 10 years away even though it had already happened in chess by this stage um and and they trained up AlphaGo to first of all beat the top european player and then they challenged the top um arguably the top player in the world um to play go um, and, and at that stage, the computer wasn't actually stronger than the player. Um, but they, they then put it, put their whole top team on it and, uh, and it improved enough to beat, uh, Lee Sidol 4-1 at Go. And, and that was, that caused a, a big sensation in the Go world. Everyone was, was very, very surprised. Um, and, and, and only then did they, uh, train AlphaZero to play, Chesco and Shogi, all of those without 
on that second iteration of AlphaGo, all of those were without any human knowledge at all. And it is amazing. And, and you can think that there's going to be other applications as well. So one thing that um, they they did last year, I, I don't know if it's exactly the same technology, but DeepMind also won a competition on protein folding. Um, and you can imagine, so, so that's, uh, you've got this complicated uh, molecule and you need to predict the way it'll fold up and this would have applications I think in in sort of medical research and and creating drugs and and it's all about sort of finding a a path through complexity so they wouldn't be able to work work out completely the solution but they work out what's a a likely way to give you a good answer and so you could imagine that kind of thing being used to to say to scientists or researchers, um, this this is this is a likely thing for you to try, and then the scientists can go away and do the experiment and see if that actually does work the way they want it to work. So you could you could imagine um, people working with AI um, in various fields to help them navigate a, a path through where there's got they've got lots of choices. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I, I uh, saw the movie AlphaGo and I thought it was absolutely. It's great, isn't it? It's really lovely. It's very moving. Mm -hmm. I, I, yeah. I mean, I got the same sense from reading Game Changer, actually, I, it, because what I saw is both this like intimidation that, you know, humans will never be smart enough to think in these ways or to play moves that are so strong. But there's also this comfort that these these systems will also make us smarter than we are now. And the reason it was so moving for me to watch that movie was that at the end, uh, first of all, Lisa Dahl did manage to win a game. And that was really, like, really stunning because you kind of saw him reach the pinnacle of human intelligence in order to just win one game, even though he lost the match. And then on top of that, afterwards, they talked about, you know, after training, he didn't lose a game for like the whole year. I Forgive me, I don't remember the detail, but it was something outstanding where after this experience of sparring with AlphaGo, he just beat everybody. And I think that w when I read Game Changer... It, it kind of speaks to you as a games player, doesn't it? Because you can, you can really picture the excitement of going into the match and then how it feels when you're... He was expecting, I think, to, to, to win the match quite comfortably and then how it feels to be beaten and then how it feels to... Um, to then get that win, and he was he was like apologizing to the public that he'd let them down, and 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 uh, and then when he won, and he was saying this is this is for for like the for humans, <laughs> and it was yeah really touching. Yeah, it was really phenomenal, and I I wondered uh, in terms of chess, uh, first of all, in Game Changer, it definitely gave you the sense that perhaps we should be recalibrating our play to study ratio. Uh, actually, I'm not sure. Is that more of a question than a statement? But to me, it seemed like Game Changer got so good from playing so many games and kind of learning almost like a human and incorporating all of these heuristics that it got from playing, not by being programmed by a human, combined with brute force calculation and simulations. So does that say to you that humans maybe need to recalibrate their play to study ratio and play maybe even more than we, we once thought. Maybe. People yeah. often say like 50-50, but maybe it's really 70-30. Yeah, and also, um, yeah, definitely definitely practicing and playing is very important. And also um, just seeing a lot of different positions because it, it the, the, its training regime was very, very fast. I mean, it played, what was it, 44 million games in nine hours. And uh, so it was, it was like, I think, less than a second a game. And um, it... Um, it would just see a lot of positions. So it wouldn't do like heavy, heavy analysis on each position, but it would just see a lot of stuff. And and you can imagine then for us, uh, like when I was brought up, we were told, well, don't really play too many blitz games and uh, don't play too fast because that'll ruin your style. But I actually wonder if playing or watching these fast games is um, is actually quite useful after all and that you get to see a lot of stuff. And I know um, with databases now, people flick through games very quickly and again I would always think oh yeah can you really take that in at that speed but but I but I actually wonder that if you if you see a lot of positions and, and when you're studying um that you can actually pick something up and you can kind of just get immersed in the positions and um 
and and learn a lot that way. So I couldn't help but think about the applications for people who want to get better at chess, because of course that's a large part of our audience at U.S. Chess, chess players in general. And from your point of view, even though every player is different, what do you think the biggest lessons from Alpha Zero are to the amateur player? Let's say anyone from you know fourteen hundred to eighteen hundred about what they might do differently in terms of studying. Are there any? Certainly, what I found is um, I've just had a lot of fun uh, trying them out and you know, either one at a time or trying trying them all out in the game. And uh, what I saw recently also was was an amateur game. Someone they were maybe twenty one hundred something like that strength um, had played this this really nice game. Posted it online. They they'd um, read all about Alpha Zero's way of constructing an attack, and they'd managed to play a game where they. They got almost all the elements in and they posted this game. So we're going to hopefully do a little video on that. Um, but it's, it's a lot of fun trying this stuff out. So I think, I think that's really nice. Um, and the, the other thing um, that I've spoken with a few people about is uh, the attitude to sacrifices as well, that, that people have been feeling happier. If they, if they think a sacrifice might be okay, they've been feeling a bit happier to give it a go. And uh, and someone was actually saying if they lost a pawn by mistake as well in their online games that that they it didn't worry them so much as it used to. They're saying if Alpha Zero can do it, I'll I'll just try and build up an attack behind the where the pawn used to be. I, I guess um, it's that a, a, attacking maybe will come back a little bit more into fashion um, with Alpha Zero because. Uh, Stockfish and the other computers are, are just such fantastic defenders that um, over the last 10 years or so, we've been thinking, how can any of our attacks work? You've got to play very solidly and safely and, and defense is the way. Um, I mean, active defense does, but um, but now Alpha Zero has managed to make some of these attacks break through. So, so people might uh, start feeling uh, like they can try for the attack again. Well, yeah, I mean, for me as a promoter of chess and somebody who wants to see, you know, lots more chess players, both U.S. chess members, both casual players, certainly female members, what excites me about Alpha Zero, which I didn't really appreciate until I, I read the book, is that perhaps it's a way not only to teach people how to play chess better and study it better, but also make the presentation of chess a little bit more accessible. I, I don't know at what point broadcasts are going to use these uh, expected value scores as opposed to pawn scores. But I was talking to some poker players about it and they were like, yeah, when I watched the world chess championship, it was very confusing to me because I didn't understand what it meant. Plus 1.2 mm. where something like the percentage chance that Magnus or Fabi wins would be a lot more, uh, I think accessible and really fascinating to even the chess amateur. Yes. That's, that's a very good thought. Jen. That's uh, I think uh, yeah I think it would be I would think it would be more accessible to people because they they actually they show Leela funnily enough they show like on on these websites they show Leela with a score in pawns but I think Leela is actually designed to work in expected values and there's just a scale to convert it into pawns. Um, hmm, I should look into that. So maybe they shouldn't use that and should just um just give us the raw what Leela comes up with in in terms of the expected value might be very. Interesting. Well, I would find it very interesting, I must say. Yeah, absolutely. I think it would be great. And uh, finally, uh, I did just mention poker players. So I have to give you a plug that I invited you to this International Women's Day event where there was a little poker tournament after a discussion on getting more women into male dominated fields like poker and chess. And we had a, a poker tournament. You'd never played in a poker tournament before and you ended up winning. So it was kind of amazing because. The whole point of AI and Alpha Zero is that one day you can apply the intelligence in this to major life issues. And you winning to me was like, hey, like you've never really played poker, but you spent so much time thinking about AI, math, chess, that it seemed to come so naturally to you. I, I think all these games help each other, don't they? But it, it was a lot of fun, that event. So thank you very much. I, I really enjoyed it. And I, I, I'm going to have to try another poker event sometime i feel like i have to be brave to try poker it's uh maybe maybe it's just because i'm not so used to it but yeah i will it was a lot of fun i would definitely try that again well yeah i think that for in terms of being a woman in chess and poker one thing that i think you have as an advantage in chess is 
that when you start thinking you're just in your own zone and you don't really, at least ideally, you don't really exist as a woman or a man anymore. You're a, you're, you're a chess player. You're visualizing chess positions. Whereas in poker, uh, relationships and how you're perceived and how other people perceive you is actually an integral part to the game. So I think that it, it's kind of naturally going to be a, a little bit more relevant to the discussions, gender, whereas in chess, I don't think gender is relevant when you're playing at all. The only reason we talk about gender so much in chess is because we want more women to play the game, right? <laughs> so it's kind of external, not internal, right? And I think that I, I think that that's actually an edge for anybody watching, listening rather, uh, who who is a woman and doesn't play chess actively now. One of the great promises of chess is that you can kind of escape from who you are and almost meditate for a few hours on on chess. Mm. And and. It- Maybe it helps your poker. <laughs> Obviously, in your case, I mean, many years ago when the poker boom came about, there were so many stories of people like you who played their first tournament and won. Nowadays, actually, poker is becoming more like chess in that you have to study really hard to become one of the best players. And a lot of the studies that are done are really similar to what chess players do when they prepare for major tournaments, you know, where People will work with their computer engines to figure out how often they should play this this hand or that hand from different positions. And we're talking percentages, right? Lots of math, lots of memorization. So I, I find it to be a, a really great corollary to chess. Yeah. I've heard online poker involves um, a lot of data mining and knowing what your opponent does and, um, and working out all these percentages and that it's – I've heard um, – it's a really, really hard game these days. Yeah, it is. It is. And I, I in the inter, in your interview with uh, Demis in the book Game Changer, he talks about how he would um, love to design an MBA class where you take all these different games and learn about how to think better via the different games. Because every game, Go, Chess, Starcraft, Poker, Shogi, has its own kind of lessons about how to think more perfectly as a human. Not... Not that we can ever reach perfection, but that we can think better via the lessons in games. And in chess, what would you say are the top few things that you could apply from being really good at chess to your life? Yeah. So with chess, I think um, there's, there's concentration, actually, because these days it's so easy to um, have a very short attention span and... Um, to concentrate on things only for a little bit at a time. Uh, with chess, you have to you have to have switched off your phone and 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 gone away, and you're focusing on one thing. Um, and these long games, it can be for you know seven hours or something, for, which is a bit long for me actually. But 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 even like a three hour game or something, which is quite nice. Um, it, it it's just a, a change of pace, so you can just become completely engrossed in the game and, and not worry about anything else. And, and it is very nice to be able to do that and, and just focus on one thing for a while. Um, but decision-making as well. And so you'll get to a critical position. Uh, you're not going to be able to work out everything, but you have to take a decision and, and make a move. Um, time management as well. Um, and uh, and actually what was a really interesting thing in the poker event the other day was was all about confidence as well and um you're talking about women uh having enough confidence on the table and and um to to just play happily and i think with chess it's important too that um you you have confidence in your own um view of the position and um and in your own uh ability to play it um so so i think those things are all really important like in a business context and in your wider life Right. Yeah, that's fascinating. I mean, that's not something that AlphaZero has to think about, but confidence, not uh, being able to think clearly and not being uh, weighed down by second guessing yourself and your opinions and things. It's like really a quality that's very difficult to reach. I think that women and girls might have particular difficulty reaching that confidence from my experiences. Uh, Maybe that's social, maybe that's partly um, something beyond socialization, but the bottom line is it's also connected to a positive. 
And I think that's always so important for me to reiterate because I don't like to only talk about negative when I talk about women and girls and gender. Um, the net, the positive is just that girls and women, if they are second guessing themselves, a lot of the times that's because we all can get better. So when you're when you're done with your chess game and you're you're looking at how you could get better, it's a wonderful quality to have. It's just about figuring out how to turn it off when you're performing. I uh, found that really interesting the other day, and yeah, and so you've got your 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 kind of training mindset, and then your playing mindset, and 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 that can be a little bit different. And when you're playing, you you just want to be thinking about the position and and not analyzing your own thoughts. Exactly. Well. Do you have any anything else you'd like to share with our readers? Uh, certainly, obviously, you guys should you know check out Game Changer, and I know Natasha, you're on Twitter as well as you have a Facebook group for Game Changer. Yes, indeed, yeah, and a YouTube channel for Game Changer as well, where we do some videos of material that um, uh, very very interesting Alpha Zero material that didn't make it into the book because we had way more content than we could fit in the book. So check that out too. Yeah, well, we'll we'll do that certainly. And obviously a lot of the YouTubers are posting Alpha Zero games as well. So it's just like a continuing source of fascination for the chess world. And I think that when people read your book with uh, Grandmaster Matthew Sadler, they'll actually feel even more motivated to uh, learn more and maybe even more motivated in chess in general. I think that for anyone who was scared away by computer engines and what it did to chess, maybe AlphaZero will cause you to rethink it and you know jump back in even harder. So thank you so much, Natasha, for joining us for Ladies Night. Thank you, Jennifer. Really enjoyed it. Thanks very much. Yeah, yeah. I hope to have you back on again soon. Until then, uh, let the game change. Yeah. Bye. If you like this episode of Ladies Night, be sure to check out all of our podcasts at US Chess, including Cover Stories with Chess Life and One Move at a Time. You can find all archived podcast episodes on the tag podcast in our US Chess news section. And if listening to this motivates you to make a donation to US Chess Women and our initiative to bring more girls and women into the game, no amount is too small or too large. So please consider making a donation on our website. Thank you very much. Now according to Sockfish, I got it all wrong. After slightly advantage, I had nothing but my dear Capablanco. You tell me we'll learn Victory